Two days ago, I saw a vehicle that had hauled that tanker. You want to get out of here? You talk to me. Max Minute, where we love seeing old friends in Mad Max 2 The Road Warrior one minute at a time. I'm Rick. And I'm Julia. And today we're talking about Minute 44, which begins with the reintroduction of the gyro captain, and it ends with our intrepid trio returning to the riverbed where the gyrocopter is waiting. I absolutely adore the opening of this minute. <laughs> How we start out on this desert terrain, this riverbed, it's barren and dry and I love how colorless. white the sand is. Yeah. Yes. And then this pink shoe just drops into frame. It, oh, I, like, I love it so much. I love how you said it drops into frame because, yeah, it kind of like stomps down from the top of the frame. Yeah. And it's the bright pink shoe and the bright yellow leggings. It's the gyro captain. Yes. Once again. And I, I love that we know and we are expected to know exactly who this is. Because of a shoe. Yeah. And how clearly that works. Yeah. We immediately know who this is and the situation in which we are finding him. Because also, along with the pink shoes and the yellow leggings are the shackles. Right. He is still chained up from when Max tied him down Yeah, the other day, which for us was quite Weeks. a while ago. But yeah. for him was yesterday. Mm-hmm. Or maybe the day before yesterday. I think it's been two nights, actually. Has it? No. Since he was chained up. Since he was chained to the tree. Yes. He's been chained for two days, but for it's been days. only yeah. one night since Max left, left him there. Yeah. Interesting fact about his shoes. When we were first talking about the gyro captain way back, I thought his shoes looked like something else. But looking at the heel and the construction of the shoe, they're definitely Converse All-Stars shoes. You were absolutely right. Interesting fact about that style of shoe, though, is that they were made locally over in Malden, Massachusetts, right down the road from us. Yes. So the Converse Rubber Shoe Company was created by Marquis Mills Converse in 1908. In 1917, the company designed the forerunner of the modern All-Star, marketed under the name Non-Skids, because they were composed of a rubber sole and a canvas upper and was designed to be a high-performance athletic shoe for basketball players. Six years later, in 1923, you have American basketball player Charles Chuck Taylor come along. He Okay, I was going to ask where the Chuck Taylor yep. nickname came from. Okay. He joined a basketball team sponsored by the Converse Company called the Converse All-Stars. He held basketball clinics in high schools all over the country and while teaching the fundamentals of the game of basketball because it was invented in Springfield, Massachusetts, mm. he sold the all-star shoes. So he was part athlete, part salesman for the company. And while he was working for them, he also made improvements to the shoes and his ideas for the shoe were designed to provide extra flexibility and support and he also, you know, added extra designs and protections and whatnot. And so the shoes became synonymous with this basketball player, which is why we just call them Chucks now. Yeah. <laughs> I had to smile when you were talking about added support and flexibility and, and sophistication in general to a shoe because I see Chucks as like the basic shoe. They are very simple. No frills. It's just a shoe. <laughs> yeah. Comparing that as a basketball shoe to athletic shoes... 
that we wear today, even simple like gym shoes or walking shoes, never mind like the professional basketball shoes, Mm -hmm. are much more complex. Yeah, the fact that Chuck Taylors were ever worn by professional basketball players when we are now in a post-Air Jordan (laughs) basketball (laughs) society is mind-boggling that that was ever a thing because absolutely you think of chuck taylor's and first of all i don't think arch support no that rubber sole is very simple and that canvas upper is likewise very simple i don't think of foot support when it comes to those things you know what's a surprising demographic when it comes to people who wear chuck taylor's weightlifters because oh, that's the, true well the, they need the grippiness they are grippy yep the flat rubber bottom provides excellent grip as far as them standing steady Mm -hmm. it's a flat footbed so you don't have any weird lumps or things pushing your feet out of an even plane right throwing your balance off yep the canvas sides allow the foot to kind of expand and you know flex so it's not just basketball players or punk emo kids Like, a lot of people wear chucks, and my best friend, when he got married, all of his groomsmen, you know, we wore Chuck Taylors. We didn't wear fancy shoes or anything like that. We were pretty comfortable. Yeah, we both have chucks. Yeah. I wear mine all the time. Yep, but you you definitely have your eyes on getting a new pair. I do, and hopefully by the time this airs, I will have pulled the trigger. (laughs) And bought your bright pink chucks. And bought my bright pink chucks. Nice. Yeah, you definitely should do that. I really should. What I I hesitate because they're kind of expensive. Yeah. I mean, they're 50 bucks, which for shoes, like, on a grand scale is not expensive. It's just, you know, when I look at my bank account, spending $50 in one shot doesn't (laughs) feel that great, so. Yeah. (laughs) I haven't done it yet. I spent $60 on a backpack, so. Backpack. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like you should be allowed to buy your shoes without guilt so getting back to these shoes though that initial shot gyro captain's foot comes into frame and he is actively dragging the log that he has been chained to for the last two days yes he was not content to just hang out at the top of that hill waiting for max to possibly come back he was bound and determined to drag that log all the way back to his gyrocopter so that he could somehow get out of that situation. Maybe he's got a hacksaw somewhere on there. (laughs) Oh, I would assume so. I would assume that he's got at least some basic set of tools on the copter Mm -hmm. or in his supplies that are hidden nearby or something. Yeah. Um, if Max didn't need him to carry his burden, do you think Max ever would have gone back to that lookout point where the gyro captain was? You know, I'm willing to bet that if Max had no intention of using the gyro captain to help him find his way, that yeah, he would not have even bothered going back that way. We were also thinking yesterday that it looks like maybe the camp had been set on fire, had been destroyed. So if the gyro captain saw people coming, then he would have felt a great amount of panic to get out of there. Yeah, so he probably ran Yeah, from someone that was coming to check out the place. From the gyrocopter's point of view, that makes me really sad because this is a man who experiences a certain level of freedom, you know, with his copter and his training his snakes and, and setting traps for people and to all of a sudden be a captive. And as we find out throughout this minute, to be a captive slave. <laughs> 
<laughs> and that he can't escape his captor yeah. is horrible. I am willing to bet that he thought when Max left him behind on that hilltop that that was the last he would see of Max. Probably. I don't think he expected to be walking this far away from that camp and suddenly, as we see, be pulling his log and all of a sudden he hears a familiar yelp and bark. Yes. And oh, I don't want to skip ahead to that point just yet because after we see the gyro captain walk by dragging his log, we cut to a different angle where we can see that the trail he's leaving behind as he's pulling that log is creating a nice wide divot to follow. Yes, very obvious. And right up next to that divot, in steps Max and the dog. And I love how they step into frame and then they stop and the dog sits down and Max is just standing there. Yes. And it's then that we see the gyro captain pulling the log and he hears that bark and he stops dead in his tracks because he knows exactly who it is. Yes. Oh, there's some great physical acting by Bruce Spence. Yeah. In this moment, he, yeah, he stops in his tracks and he slowly turns around to, like, confirm his fears. Yeah. <laughs> And that slow turn, you can't see his face because he's got his goggles down and he's got his face mask up over his face yeah. to protect from the dust. But just the way he's kind of hunched over, pulling that log, he hears the bark and then he freezes. And he doesn't so much turn just his head, he kind of turns his whole upper body to look behind him. And you just get that glint of the goggles and you cut back to the dog and the dog lets out like a couple of more aggressive barks. Mm -hmm. And the gyro captain reels back. As if he's like stepped in something, throws his whole torso back, and then he lunges forward down towards the log. And you almost get the sense that he's either going to pick up that log to try and run with it, or he's going to try and wrestle that chain out from around that log to get away faster. Well, I would assume he was going to pick it up because if brute force could get the log separated from the chain, he would have done that before now. You would hope. <laughs> yes. So my idea was that he was picking it up. Mm -hmm. I mean, it doesn't do him any good because as he leans down to mess with that log, we get a close-up of Max who looks down at the dog and he does one of those little uh, dog training mouth clicks where he goes like... Or something like that. Yep. And, oh my gosh, dog takes off like a rocket. Yes. I actually tried to find out if someone has written down the top speed of an Australian blue healer. They have not, but holy cow, those dogs are fast. I mean, they're shepherding dogs. Right. They have to be fast. They have to be fast. They have to be in five places at once. Mm -hmm. There was one really fun little video I found of someone on vacation with their dog here in the States, and it's a blue healer, and the dog doesn't usually get to play out in the snow. And so it was a late fall, early winter, early snowfall with big old flakes, and the dog was running back and forth in this backyard, which couldn't have been more than like 30, 40 feet wide, but he was running back and forth and around and in little figure eights and just booking it. Oh, that sounds adorable. It was terribly adorable. <laughs> it made me think that I would feel bad to have a dog in where we live right now because we don't have a yard that he could run around in. Yeah. But even so, it makes me want one. <laughs> <laughs> Max, when he sends Dog to chase the captain, kind of had trouble describing in my notes the expression on his face. Yeah. Because you can tell that he's happy in a sense, but he's not smiling. Could you say that he's more pleased? Yes. I'm pretty sure they've been following that divot trail that like the gyro the captain's been time. leaving. Yeah. When he was up on the pinnacle, probably noticed, like we said yesterday, that 
the gyro captain was gone. I don't know if there was necessarily a trail to follow from the top of that hill all the way down, but I'm willing to bet as soon as they got into a place where that trail started, they instantly decided we're going to follow this because it's probably the gyro captain and I can definitely make him carry this. Yes. Well, I think Max probably was heading back to the copter anyways. Because he knew that's where the captain would go. Right. Back to his copter. And also, he knows where the truck is in relation to the gyrocopter because the gyrocopter was the next stop he made after the truck. So using familiar landmarks, compound, pinnacle hill, gyrocopter, big rig. Yes, It could have been a significantly shorter distance as the crow flies from the compound to the rig, but he didn't know that. Right. He knew how he got there, so he just retraced his steps. And that also took him in the path of the gyro captain who can carry his burden for him. Yeah. One thing that I love about this shot where the dog takes off after the gyro captain is that the gyro captain is bent over and he's messing with the log or something like that. And he falls over. He either can't get the chain to do what he wants or he can't pick up the log and the dog is closing in on him and he just collapses. And I'm sure it's a little farther away, so it's hard to see. The next thing he does is probably curl up in a ball to try and protect himself. Yes. From dog. From dog. (laughs) And I can imagine on the set that the scene went more like Bruce Spence falling on the ground, dog bounding up to him and just jumping on him and playing with him and licking his face. Yeah, because they were good friends. After we see dog sprint off after the gyro captain, we get another shot of Max and he takes the oil cans. He kind of spins it around his shoulder so that he can take it off and drop it on the ground. And we get our second instance this week (laughs) of gas cans not sounding full. We were watching the commentary on the Road Warrior Blu-ray between George Miller and Dean Semler. And Dean made a comment about the oil cans not really being full. And George said, oh yeah, the props people didn't want them to be full because it would be easier for the characters to carry, but I insisted on having something in those cans so that there could be actual weight shown by the actors. And it must not have put that much in the cans because it didn't look like there was that much in there. Yeah, even knowing that George Miller claims that there was something in the cans, they still sound empty when they clank to the ground. So I I suppose there could have been something in there, but not much. Right. And they made a example of people carrying luggage in films, Mm -hmm. and when the luggage is empty, you can kind of tell that it's lighter than it should be. The cans here, they look like they're kind of lighter than they should be. Max is able to spin that around his shoulder and move it around with one hand very easily, and Bruce Spence is able to do the very same thing tomorrow. Yes. So you just got to chalk it up to suspension of disbelief. Yes. To make that movie magic happen. (laughs) (laughs) We go from Max putting down the gas cans to Max, Dog, and the Gyro Captain walking together as a group now down a dried riverbed. And the Gyro Captain is no longer chained to a tree. He's still chained up and Max has him on a leash, but he's not chained to a tree anymore. Right. I really love this transition. I love that we don't get to see the interaction between Max and the Gyro Captain. I love how it's just assumed we don't need to know how because 
we can just assume that Max was able to retake control <laughs> of the gyro captain. Exactly. And it was so easy for Max that we don't really need to see it. Mm-hmm. So they are walking along this dried riverbed, and they are actually walking up to where the gyrocopter is sitting. It's only been sitting there for, say, a couple of days now. Yeah, I think two days, more or less. But it's been sitting there long enough that a visitor has arrived there. We don't get to see that visitor until tomorrow. We just kind of see a little bit of the buggy popping mm-hmm. up into the scene yep. by the end of this minute. But one thing that's kind of hard to hear in this scene, there is dialogue happening between the gyro captain and Max, because of course the gyro captain would be talking if Max is around to hear him. So it starts pretty much at the shot transition. The gyro captain says, you know what I miss most of all? Clean women, nail polish, perfume, the smell of bicycle seats, cocktails, and Max says, shut up, because he's probably had to listen to this. And the gyro captain goes on to say, desserts, lingerie, and a minute cuts off after that. (laughs) But the gyro captain is sitting there reminiscing about the pre-collapse society that they were both a part of. And we don't get a lot of reminders that all of these people are first-generation wastelanders. Yes. They still remember what it was like to live in modern society. And it's a little tricky to remember that sometimes because everything is so stylized in this movie. But yeah, when all these people were growing up, they had normal childhoods. Everything was mostly normal. Sure, things were going downhill, but... There was still nail polish and lingerie, Exactly. Things were pretty good. It's funny that one of the major things that the gyro captain misses is clean women, because he definitely strikes me as that kind of a a lech, considering that he's covered his gyrocopter in pasted-on pictures of nude women. Yeah. Yeah, I really have no opinion on his status (laughs) as a lech. (laughs) I got nothing. But yeah, I'm very certain that you're not going to be able to find a lot of nail polish next to no perfume, I'm sure. Cocktails and desserts, totally out of the question. Right. One thing that stood out to me that I kind of raised my eyebrows at when he said the smell of bicycle seats and I kind of... Does he mean leather? I I don't think he means leather. Do you think he means something dirty? I think he means something dirty because when you think about bicycle seats... Mm-hmm. You know, and how narrow they are and how, you know, when people ride bicycles. Yes. Yeah. It's just, it's not something I think of very often. <laughs> and the fact that he put that image in my head of bicycle seats, I'm like, okay, yeah, I guess, whatever. Just no. <laughs> no, thank you. I don't want to think too hard about that. But you definitely get the sense of exactly what he's talking about when he talks about missing clean women and then talking about the smell of bicycle seats. Okay. Do you think the gyro captain talks to himself when he's alone? Out loud, I mean. I would like to think the gyro captain talks to his snakes. Ah. That one of the reasons he has them around is to give himself another living thing to talk to. But in that instance, it's kind of like Tom Hanks in Castaway talking to the volleyball. Right. Like the snakes aren't going to talk back. Right. They just need something to talk at. Exactly. A reason, a justification for talking out loud. Exactly. Now, I will talk to myself. I think out loud. I'm a very auditory person. So in order for me to remember things, I will speak out loud. And people give me guff for talking to myself all the time. And I have a canned response that I think I've mentioned back in season one. I don't need to repeat it. But I think when you're dealing with movies, it's easier to give your actor something to work off of than just telling them to talk to themselves. Because actors are very used to interacting with things and people and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And so when you have them act against an animal or a object... 
it just seems a little bit more easy to swallow than just talking to themselves. Yes, I'm trying to think of movie scenes where a character is genuinely just talking to themselves and they're not using an object or an animal to bounce off of. Yeah, the one that comes to mind initially is Bruce Willis in Die Hard. Specifically ah. the scene where he's crawling through the air vents and he says, "Ugh, now I know how a hot pocket feels or something like that. Yeah. It's not a hot pocket. I think it's a TV dinner because it's 1988. I don't think hot pockets were a thing back then. <laughs> uh, there's also a scene in Hunt for Red October where Alec Baldwin's character, Jack Ryan, is in the shower and... And he's just had a conversation with the commander of a aircraft carrier, and he is mocking <laughs> the conversation. Yeah. Um, and then it continues to when he's shaving. And then he actually does the same thing again later on when he is on the Red October, and he's had a conversation with Ramius. And he is, again, mocking the conversation that he had with Ramius. Yeah. Doing a Sean Connery impression. Is that where he's crawling through the end of the ship and he's like, oh, be careful, Shunny. There's lots of things that can explode or allergic to bullets or something. Yeah, that don't react well to bullets. Yeah, that's what it and was. his own response is, well, I don't react well to bullets. <laughs> <laughs> so he does it a couple of times in that movie where he really is just talking to himself. Yeah, I feel like that is used a lot for allowing characters to be funny on their own because in the air duct scene from Die Hard that I mentioned earlier he does a little mocking imitation of his wife oh come out to the coast we'll have a great time yeah <laughs> it's good yeah. it's good stuff yeah they both are used as humorous moments hmm. uh, but Bruce Spence doesn't really do that in this movie no talk to himself I think it's because we don't really spend a lot of time alone with Bruce Spence no and Max isn't the kind of person to talk to himself. He's a very silent no. character. Yes. Which probably makes getting along with the gyro captain quite the challenge. The gyro captain reminds me of myself when I've been at work alone all day and haven't really had an opportunity to talk to people. I'll come home and talk your ear off. Yes, you will. And I I've listen been... to you because I'm interested. <laughs> oh, thank you. Because I've been quiet all day. I've got all this built up conversation. That <laughs> it just has to spill out of me. <laughs> so I can definitely sympathize with the captain. Yeah. But I can also sympathize with Max when somebody is just droning on and on about things that you do not care about. Yep. And it's an interesting subject, the idea of the gyro captain bringing up his longing for clean women. Max was not the kind of guy that would run out and, you know, spend a night with a lounge singer. That was Goose. Mm-hmm. And Goose's love of women was part of his character. And Max had a lot of affection for Goose as his best friend in the world and so i can't help but feel that max telling the gyro captain to shut up is partly because he's annoyed of hearing him talk but it could also contain an element of being reminded of talking to goose at work being out on patrol and swapping stories about the weekend that goose had yes hearing things like that and it's probably still a bit of a soft subject for him yes Max does not deal well with loss. No. I mean, it drove him out into the wasteland. Instead of sticking around and dealing with his problems, he ran away to the desert. So I think he, of all people, doesn't want to talk about the pre-apocalypse. Right. He probably doesn't want to talk about women. Yeah. Because that's another sore subject for him. Yes. You know, if he could go days on end without being reminded of how Jesse died, I'm sure he would try and do that as much as he could. 
Yes. So. Anything else? In a post-apocalyptic situation, what do you think you would miss most? Ooh, a comfortable bed. Yeah. Yeah. I, dirt does not bother me. I'm fine with dirt. As long as I can be comfortable. And sometimes I'll do this, like, I'll go to bed early just because I want to be someplace Nice and soft and comfy. Because, mm-hmm. yeah, I like my bed. How about you? Probably one of the biggest things I would miss if I found myself in a Mag Max type wasteland is information. Not knowing what's going on. Mm, not knowing point. what's coming. I've become so accustomed to having the entirety of human knowledge at my fingertips yes that i can figure out okay well what is this week's weather gonna look like what is happening halfway across the country what are these people talking about and being isolated and so micro in nature when i've become so accustomed to being macro in scope i think the not knowing would be really hard to cope with not knowing what's happening in the next state or the next county or even the next town yes I think I can definitely sympathize with that. The idea going back to when the gyro captain, to save his own butt, offered to show Max where all this gasoline was. Max didn't believe him at first. Yeah. And this, the compound was what, like 20 miles away is what they said? Give or take. Yeah. So you think about like our area and things that are only about 20 miles away, that's not that far. But to them, because they had no, no maps, no information other than what they have seen and heard, something 20 miles away, they didn't even know it existed. Yeah, exactly. If you're stuck on foot and you're carrying things, 20 miles, that'll take you all day. Yeah. Like maybe not like a full 24 hours as far as all day, but you know, it'll take you all of the daylight hours that are to get that far. (laughs) Kyle Hill posted a video on Instagram doing math to find out in the Lord of the Rings, their average pace to get to Mordor was 10 miles a day. That's not that many. No, it's not that many. Yeah. But when you're going over like rough terrain and things like that, it really slows you down. Not to mention all the detours they took. Yes. (laughs) I I can't help but think that most of that pace was set by all the detours. Exactly. You can be moving at a pretty good clip, but if you're stopping in Edoras for a couple of days to deal with a magically based coup, Mm -hmm. that's going to slow you down. So that pretty much brings us to the end of this minute. We are going to be joined by some fresh eyes tomorrow as we pick up with Max and the gyro captain rediscovering the gyrocopter, finding a uh, set of wheels, blades, however you want to phrase the the bits and bobs of a gyrocopter. (laughs) So come back for that. The Mad Max Minute podcast is a fan project by Rick and Julia Ingham. The Mad Max franchise was created by George Miller and Byron Kennedy and presented by Warner Brothers Pictures in association with Village Roadshow Pictures. Mad Max Minute is produced and edited by Rick Ingham. Our opening music is by Daniel Batista of DanielBatista.com. You can follow Mad Max Minute on Twitter at Mad Max Minute, on Facebook at Mad Max Minute Beyond Microphone, and at MadMaxMinute.com. And finally, if you would like to contribute to the podcast, visit MadMaxMinute.com, click on the support link at the top of the page, and check out our Patreon to help us keep the tanks full. Thank you for joining us for Minute 44 of the Road Warrior. See you tomorrow.